0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Bright Star Bible Church. Thank you for joining us. As you listen to the proclamation of God's word, our prayer for you is the same prayer Jesus prayed for his church in John 17, 17. Lord, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Today, we are continuing in the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, and we are in the last chapter of the book, chapter 16 and what an incredible what an incredible book this has been and and as i told you my plan going forward we're going to do the book of mark next i did put a link where you can buy the journal you can buy a journal that's got all the scripture on one side it's it's legacy standard which is what i teach out of and then on the other side is just a blank page where you can take notes i would encourage you there's two ways we can do this i can buy a bunch of them you can tell me that you want them and then you can just throw whatever, 10 bucks in the, in the plate or whatever, or you can go online and buy them yourself, whichever y'all want to do. Y'all let me know. But, uh, I think that would be great. That's for the book of Mark. And then after the book of Mark, then we're going to follow up with second Corinthians. Cause there's a, there's a history here with the church of Corinthians. And, and I think the context is important. So, uh, we would love to revisit the church at Corinth after the book of Mark. We're going to spend some time with Jesus And in the gospel, and then we're going to go over and and start again in 2 Corinthians and work through that. If you would stand, we're in chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians. We're going to read verses 5 through 12. 1 Corinthians 16, 5 through 12. This is the word of God. But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I'm going through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide and effective door has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now if Timothy comes, take care that he is with you without fear, for he is doing the Lord's work, as I also am. So let no one despise him. But send him on his way in peace so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brothers. Now concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brothers. And it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has the opportunity. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we just pray that today you would open the eyes of our understanding. Lord, enlighten our hearts and our minds to see the truth of your word. And Lord Jesus, give us the courage to align our lives with the truth therein. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So when we read this passage, it's interesting because Paul now begins addressing more personal matters. And he's actually naming names. And in in that, we may be tempted to kind of just dismiss this as something that was you know, relevant back then, but doesn't really hold any relevance for us. And the truth is, there's a lot to learn from Paul's example that he sets in these eight verses that we're going to study today. We get some insight into Paul's thinking concerning where he plans to go next, and we see his optimism in in the letter, and also kind of his desire about the prospects of future ministry. And I'd like us to note these today, these different lessons that we learn from this passage as we consider the whole topic is doing the work of the Lord, doing the work of the Lord. So number one, I want you to note that Paul worked with vision and priority. Paul worked with vision and priority. Look again there at verse 12, verse 12. But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia. You see, Paul was always aware of his opportunities to serve, opportunities to do the Lord's work. And he saw a need in Macedonia, and he was actually looking forward to going to Macedonia. And we see here that his original plan was to visit Corinth, but we know in other passages of Scripture that that plan was sort of derailed for various reasons. But what we can learn from the Apostle Paul is this. As we are doing the Lord's work, we too should have a plan for the future. We should have a strategy, a vision for the ministry and where we want to go in the ministry. And this strategy doesn't just rest on the pastor's shoulders, okay? It's not, he's not the the main guy that just, this is a family thing. Remember Paul's charge to everyone in the church at Corinth and chapter 15 verse 58 just switch back just turn back there real quick and look at first corinthians fifteen 58 first corinthians 15 58 this is foundational it's important because this sets the stage for this whole thing that we're talking about today paul's paul's talking about this very thing he, here's what he says right therefore my beloved brothers be steadfast immovable Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So it's the work of the Lord. And what does it say right there in the middle? Right in the middle of that verse, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, it doesn't take Sherlock Holmes to tell me what the meaning of always is, right? Everybody here knows what the meaning of always is. Well, how about the word abounding? We talked about that a few weeks ago, but I'm going to help you with that one. Abounding means over and above. Always and over and above be doing the work of the Lord. And that's our heart. That's that's exactly what we see Paul doing in his ministry. It's exactly what we see Timothy doing in his ministry. And that same commission extends to each and every one of us in the room today to be always abounding in the work of the Lord over and above. And considering Paul's passion to go and, and, and spread the gospel, this, this over and above mentality, there was one writer that I read, and here's what he wrote about Paul, and I love this. Paul was haunted by distant regions. He never saw a ship at anchor upon which he did not want to board and carry the good news to people across the other side of the water. He never saw a mountain range that he didn't want to cross over in order to share the good news And build up the saints. You and I, we have to look ahead just like he did, just like Paul did. Live with a plan, a purpose, and prioritize God's calling on our lives and on the lives of your family. If there's one thing I've noticed over the years is that there are a lot of faithful people that love Jesus and follow Jesus. Not a whole lot of them think about where their kids are going to be 10, 15, 20 years down the road. You have to plan and and build your children for the future. You're not going to build your children spiritually by bringing them to church on Sunday. You're going to build your children spiritually by the way you live your life and what you teach them about the Lord Monday through Saturday and including bringing your children to church on Sunday. Don't take for granted one second that this world does not want to chew up your kids and spit them out. Do you understand You need to know that. You need to plan for that. And you need to be purposeful in training up your children in the way they should go. I think it's our tendency to think of our own lives, the many irons that we have in the fire, how often inconvenienced we are at just the notion, the prospect of doing more. It's like, how in the world can I do more, right? I know some of you are sitting there thinking that right now. How in the world is it possible that we could do more? Are we really supposed to take care of our homes, provide for our families, tend to our own hopes and dreams, and then do all this serving the Lord work on top of that? Is that what expected of us? And the whole purpose of your life, listen, the whole purpose of your life is to bring glory to God. That's it. That's your purpose. That's your number one priority. Your dreams, your goals, your family. Your job, they're mechanisms by which we give God ultimate glory, and they were never meant to be a distraction from the very thing He created you for. They're not supposed to distract you, they're supposed to be used as tools for the gospel and for bringing God glory. Perhaps what we all must do is take a very close look at the busyness of our lives and reevaluate. What's actually worth it and what's not worth it? Are we as a family involved in activities, needless busyness that would distract us from God's created purpose in our lives? Can we not evaluate everything in our lives? Everything's on the chopping block. All of the activity, the hustle and bustle, it's all on the chopping block. Re-evaluate and then prioritize what's most important. And then simplify, cut the things out that you don't actually need. And then re-sharpen your focus on the purposes of God in your life. You know, I often think about something that I mentioned to Krista. I'm sure it bugs her because I bring it up all the time. I have this 150 years ago mentality. Like, if they didn't do it 150 years ago, why do we have to do it today? Like, you know, all these things, I mean, they knew how to live back then. It was like, they went out and got their own water and raised cows and did all this stuff in the homesteading life, right? And it's like, well, what is it about this life right now, this modern life? And I'm not saying we should all become Mennonite or Amish or whatever. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying we should look at the way they lived then and then ask the questions, am I needlessly doing all of this extra stuff for no reason? Can I live my life in such a way that honors Christ and everything I say and do, and I can simplify my life and then, as I said, refocus my priorities? Is there a rule somewhere that says we have to make a certain amount of money, be involved in so many different various activities, moving from place to place, and, and quite honestly, stressed out, stressed out because we're involved in so many different things? So we should often ask the question, is it really necessary? Is it helpful for our marriage, for our children? Does this grow us spiritually, or is this in actuality a distraction from from the best for our marriage and for our family? Is it actually pulling us away from the things that matter most? And I'm not saying that about anybody. I'm saying, ask the questions. Get together with your husband and wife. Talk it through. What are some things that we can think about? Are they necessary? By all means, keep doing it. Are they a vehicle to share the gospel? By all means, keep doing it. But ask those questions. Paul had a one-track mind, and I love that about him. Look at what he gave when you consider his life. Look at what he endured. And even yet, he counseled Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.8. 1 Timothy 6.8, he says, And if we had food and covering with these, we shall be content. You know, you boil it all down. If you got a roof over your head and clothes on your back, thank God, and you can put food in your belly, then you should be content, all right? And that doesn't mean you have to live like a monk up in some monastery in the mountains. It just means be content with what you have and understand that there are going to be seasons in your life where you're going to have a little and you're going to have a lot, which brings up Philippians 4.11. Paul said, for I learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. He learned to be content. Doesn't matter what circumstance you're in, the ebbs and flows, the ups and downs of life, be content. You're content in him. He is your source. He is your provision. He is your sustenance. The Lord's work was Paul's first priority, and so it is to be with each and every one of us. Paul was always looking ahead, as I said, and in his letter to Rome, he mentioned to them two different times that after his visit with them, he wanted to go to Spain he had heard great things about Spain. Uh, they were growing, bustling, producing. They had two different emperors that he had heard about. Uh, some philosophers that were gaining re- uh, repute. I mean, reputation. I guess that's, yeah, that's what I meant. I'm, I said what I meant. I guess I thought for a second there I used the wrong word. Uh, and, and I know that he was chomping at the bit to, to go share the gospel in Spain. That was his vision. He planned ahead. He strategized. But we got to look at the next verse to keep everything in balance and learn our next lesson. Verse six. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. So our second lesson, number two, Paul was flexible. Paul was flexible. Paul allowed the Lord to lead him in any direction that he wanted to. Paul didn't walk on the edge of a knife afraid to mess things up. He knew God was in control. He knew that God had promised to direct his steps. He knew God would not allow him to mess it up. And yes, of course, we should have a plan, as we've already discussed. And we should prepare for whatever might be ahead. That's actually just using wisdom as a good steward of your family, of your finances, all of that. Plan ahead. But as Paul knew, his plans should be open to revisions from the Lord. The Lord can change your steps at any time He wills. And so we should all have that same flexible heart in our lives. My, my son, when he was a little boy, one of the things that he just couldn't handle is when we had plans to do something and something happened to change the plans and it just bummed him out so badly. And we had many conversations. I said, Bud, you got to get a hold of this because if you're an adult and 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 you know life changes sometimes there are 90 degree angles and curveballs and sometimes you don't know what to expect so make your plans but you got to be ready to 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 roll with the punches and you got to be ready to to change as life happens so make your plans but don't get so bummed out and and those were conversations that we had many times and i still think when plans change it makes him a little sad even today but uh Anyway, he, he got so sad about it. Uh, but our plans don't always work out. I would say that I would say that some things are out of our control, but the fact is there's really nothing in our control. We don't really control anything. We have a we have an idea. We're under the illusion that we're in control, but we're really not. Um, Proverbs 16 9. Proverbs 16 9. Write that down. Proverbs 16 9. He says, the heart of a man plans his way. The heart of a man plans his way. Listen, but Yahweh directs his steps. Make your plans, but always rely on Yahweh. Always rely on the Lord to direct your steps. And this is such a, an important principle to understand. Turn with me, if you will, to James, uh, the book of James chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 13 through 15. James 4, verses 13 through 15. This just hits the nail right on the head. James four thirteen, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such city and we'll spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. If the Lord wills, we will live. So we don't even have control over whether or not we're going to live or die. If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. He goes on to say that doing otherwise is boasting in your arrogance and it's evil. He calls it evil. So we need to be careful to always give the Lord that place. You see, our plans should always be subject to that all-encompassing truth of thy will, not mine, if the Lord wills principle in our lives. And this is why Paul uses the words here in this passage back over in 1 Corinthians 16. He uses the words, perhaps, even, may. And if you understand the will of God and purpose of God, folks, you have a really wide lane to work in. He gives you a lot of space to do his will. And I want to explain this. Many believers toil over what they should do to fulfill God's will. Lord, should I go here or there? Should I do this or that? And, and often when they're young and in college age, they're, they're seeking the Lord's will and they're terrified that they're going to mess something up. And, you know, I, I crack, crack up about the whole idea of the, marrying the one, Right. I got to marry the one. I got to find the one. The Lord's got the one for me. And truth be told, it's sort of like that. But if you're going around looking for the one, we know God's sovereign and you're going to be with the one that you're supposed to be with. But let's follow the logic if you're terrified that you're going to miss the one. So the Lord's got this whole thing planned out, right? And there's this one for you. Well, you blow it and you miss it. So now you marry the wrong one. They marry the wrong one and then the people they're supposed to marry, marry the wrong ones. And then before you know it, we rip a hole in the space time continuum. Okay. (laughs) So the logic doesn't follow. All right. we rely on the Lord. And, And I want to explain this because God's given you a great deal of freedom to live in a way that honors him. So which job should I take? We'll pray about it and choose one. That's how it works. Have a big decision, pray about it, make the decision, and then watch God do what he promises he will do. He will work all things together for good for those who love him. That's a promise for us. We can hold on to that. Do you want to move to Alaska and carry the gospel to the indigenous people there? Well, what's the Great Commission? Go and spread the gospel Go to all nations, tribes, and tongues. It's within the scope of God's explicit plan in Scripture. And if you just do it, He'll bless it. He'll bless it. Again, if you're not violating what you know to be His explicit will, as it's dictated in His Word, which would be engaging in habitual sin, sexual sin, or by dishonoring Him or His Word in some way. And you're submitting your life completely to Him, seeking Him on a daily basis, God will direct your steps. He will do it. You can have confidence in Him. You've heard this verse, Proverbs 3 5 and 6. Proverbs 3 5 and 6. Trust in Yahweh with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. In all your ways. Acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. He will direct your paths. So stop stressing. Don't be fearful trying to find God's perfect will like it's a, like it's an X drawn on a treasure map, okay? That's, that's not how it works. Submit to Christ and trust in His sovereign ability to take you down the right path. He will accomplish His good purpose for His good pleasure. That's what He has purposed to do so you get to be an instrument in that and you have a great deal of freedom in order to follow the lord and, and be right smack in the middle of his will. Look at the end of verse 6 back over in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 the end of verse 6 so that you may send me on my way wherever i may go. So Paul speaks of the Corinthians willingness to encourage him and equip him in his ministry but was in this passage do you see him toiling? And stressing about which direction to go it doesn't look like it to me because he says wherever i may go wherever i go wherever the lord leads me i'm ready so let me challenge all of you to begin thinking of the lord's will in that way you don't have to hear you don't have to be knocked on your face and hear some lightning and divine you know voice from heaven to tell you what to do wherever i may go and, and, and that's, that's the truth. That's the principle here. As long as you're living completely for him, you seek to serve him in all that you do. He will encourage you and equip you wherever you may go. Amen? Amen? Look at verse 7 and 8. Verses 7 and 8. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing. For I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. So the third lesson that we learn here, number three, Paul was committed and thorough in completing his work. He was committed and thorough in completing his work. Notice the two things here. First, Paul understood that the work he had to do in Corinth would require more than just a little time in passing. All right? He made that statement. He knew that that it would require more of of his time. He planted the church at Corinth, And then spent a year and a half evangelizing and discipling. And he established that church in a very difficult cultural situation. And we need only to scan the previous chapters in the book of 1 Corinthians to see what kind of issues and problems they were dealing with. I mean, we've been studying this for a year and a half now. We also know that Paul's second letter, the one that's canonical, we know there were several letters, but 2 Corinthians... um, was addressing another major issue after Paul had departed. And all the guys, we, we got to study in more depth uh, 2 Corinthians last week, but Paul prayed for the Corinthians. He wrote them several letters. He, he visited them, and eventually there were these self-proclaimed apostles that came in the church, infiltrated the church, having these fraudulent letters from Jerusalem claiming that they were Apostles and paul called them super apostles they came into the church they took over and they began this very strict strong rule over the people of corinth after the book of 1 corinthians you understand that's kind of the timeline and they took their money at times they were violent towards them they used the money for their own gain it seemed their sole purpose was to discredit the apostle paul and really call into question whether or not he was a true apostle by attacking his, both his credentials and the way he lived life and served in the ministry. They would say, he cannot be a true disciple. He's poor. He's destitute. He's constantly in prison. He's constantly getting beat up and left for dead. He's constantly going without food, right? He's being attacked. He's weak. Surely God is not with him. He cannot be God's man. That's what they were telling the, the church at Corinth. Paul dealt with the equivalent of, they were prosperity gospel apostles in that day. He dealt with them firmly, and he visited them to make certain that they were eventually driven out. And he dealt with the the unrepentant minority in Corinth who still were following the lead of these false apostles. And if you want context, that's the context. If you want to go read 2 Corinthians now, you kind of have the, the, uh, the context, the foundation for what's going on in the church there. And it's a fascinating read to see how he dealt with them. But he states here that his hope was that he could remain with them for some time. He had every intention to take the proper time to finish the work that he was called to do with them. Notice again his complete trust in the Lord by yielding to first the Father's will. He says, if the Lord permits... Have I convinced you that that's the way we should live our lives? It's thy will be done, not my will be done. If the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. If the Lord permits, and so we make our plans, but we trust him to direct our steps. In verse 8, he also shows us his current commitment. He says, I shall remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. And he felt that he still had some work left to be done there. And it seems that he would not move until he knew that his job there in Ephesus had been completely and thoroughly done. And we should have the same mindset in our work. And when we do something in the church, we're doing it as unto the Lord, and we should do it thoroughly, and we should complete it, and do it as unto the Lord. The fourth lesson we learned from this passage, number four, expect conflict and challenges from many adversaries. Expect conflict and challenges From many adversaries. Look at verse 9. Verse 9. For a wide and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Just as I was speaking of those super apostles, the wolves in sheep's clothing that showed up in Corinth, they were but one group of many different false teachers and prophets and apostles that Paul had to deal with in his journeys. There were apparently many adversaries there in Ephesus where Paul writes this letter as well. Remember our study on the city of Ephesus in the book of Revelation when we're doing the seven churches. They had established cultic religion there. They had the temple of Artemis where ritualistic prostitution and various perverted acts took place in the temple. And even the Christians were taking part in some of that. They took place back then and Folks, I don't know if you've noticed, but the church's arms are wide open for that same stuff taking place inside the church now. We see many modern Christian churches today tolerate and even celebrate the same type of perverted behavior that they did back then in those pagan cities. Opening their doors wide open, allowing it to go on within the church in addition to that, there were also these Jewish exorcists that were going around the city claiming to cast out devils in Jesus' name. So they were, they were, again, fraudulent. Wolves in sheep's clothing. Going around the city claiming that they were casting out demons and they were doing so in the name of Jesus. But they weren't believers in Christ. And this is why we have to be so alert. This is why we have to be so alert just becomes just because someone claims to be a follower of Jesus and a prophet of God or a modern day apostle, which, by the way, can't exist. It's impossible for a modern day apostle. It does not mean that those men actually know Jesus or that Jesus knows them. And I don't know if you've noticed, but there's been this rise and we, we've discussed it through the last part of 1 Corinthians and the the abuses in the churches and the things that are going on within the hyper-charismatic movement. But there's a a whole new movement of self-proclaimed prophets out there today. And uh, they're going from city to city, holding events, casting out devils. That's what they're saying. Many of them have joined forces now to make a movie that's going to be released in theaters to rebut the new American gospel movie that's coming out. And the movie is called, quote, In the Name of Jesus, Come Out. That's the name of the movie. And I read the byline, just the byline of this, of this movie title on the movie poster. And they've got them all set up on the movie poster like they're, you know, like, like the Avengers or something. And, uh, and then on the byline, it says, and I'm telling you, I was flabbergasted by this, by the arrogance. I could hardly believe it. I made a comment to Krista Okay, so I want you to, here's what they say. Quote, the most important awakening in church history has begun. The most important awakening in church history has begun. So let's just think about that for a second. More important than Christ's resurrection or ascension. More important than Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. More important than the first century foundation of the church being laid by the apostles and prophets. What unbridled arrogance that is. What hubris. So think about this just for a moment. They hold these events in different venues across the nation. And supposedly these demon-possessed people make an effort to actually travel to these events. So they see the poster or they see the ad and they travel to these events. Okay. And then once they're at the event, the demon possessed person or people sit through an hour of worship music. They sit through an hour peaceably through the message being preached. And then all of a sudden they, the demons get to be cast out at the end of the whole thing. Then they start the exorcisms. Okay. Okay. Those are some really patient and very stupid demons. <laughs> and this just goes to show us that there's nothing new under the sun. It's just the enemy keeps recycling the old lies over and over and over again. And we face the same kind of adversaries that Paul faced. But here's what you need to understand. It's, it's a repackaging and, and marketing for those with this uh, sign-seeking mentality. And they want all the Jesus stuff. They want all of his mojo, all of his power, but they don't really want Jesus. In John 6, Jesus said that his true disciples will eat his flesh and drink his blood. And they accept him and his word fully. He is their sustenance, not signs and wonders. Go to that chapter, read the context. They had walked all the way around the lake. To see Jesus again because just a few days or the day before he had fed the multitudes and they wanted more food and they wanted more miracles and they asked him, how can we get that stuff again? And that's when Jesus rebuked them and said that all you want is the food, all you want is the miracles, you have to understand why I'm here. You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. This is so much more than miracle signs and wonders. There's a purpose to the miracle signs and wonders. It's to prove who I am. I'm the manna that came down from heaven. I'm the one that you've been looking for. Why do you want the miracles and not the man, the son of man? Jesus, in fact, said a wicked and perverse generation seeks for a sign. You're missing the whole point. We seek the sign giver and we do so by immersing ourselves in his word and if we do that we'll truly know him. And look, I know I talk about this passage so many times, you probably want to throw things at me, but in Matthew chapter 7, it's the words of our Lord and here's what he says. Matthew 7:22 through 23. Matthew 7:22 to 23. Many will say to me on that lord on that day, lord, lord, in your name did we not prophesy? and in your name cast out demons, and in your name do many mighty miracles. And Jesus says this, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. It wasn't that you were saved and you lost your salvation, because we know that's, that doesn't happen. He says, I never knew you. I get that you've done all these things. But I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work iniquity. You wicked people, depart from me. I never knew you. And Paul, though, here's what we have to understand. In all of the stuff that I'm bringing up to you, and as frustrating as sometimes our adversaries can be, Paul prayed for his adversaries. And in that conflict, his heart was set on the possibilities of sharing the gospel with his adversaries, even and, and having their eyes open to the truth of the gospel. Look what he says here again for a wide and effective door has been opened unto me. That's a big opportunity. A wide and effective door has been opened. And in spite of my adversaries, the gospel will go forth. The one who opens a door and no one shuts, the one who shuts a door and no one opens, has opened a door for me, and I'm going through it. Paul knew that when the Lord opened a door, it would be effectual. There was no doubt about it, and that gave him confidence, and we should have the same confidence. We have to live with the confidence in God's sovereignty and His power in order to open a door, and when He opens a door, and this church is an open door, we need to use this church in such a way and live our lives in such a way in the context of this church that we're taking full advantage of the door that he's opened for us. I love the narrative in Acts 18. Turn to Acts 18 with me, if you will. Acts 18. Acts 18, we're going to look at verses 5 through 11. This is, this is incredible, and it's got it's many faceted truths here in this passage. Acts 18, 5 through 11. I want you to look at Paul's resilience when he comes up against adversaries, and I want you to see Christ's response to Paul, Christ himself. It's fascinating, beginning in verse 5, chapter 18, verse 5 of Acts. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly bearing witness to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then he left there and he went to the house of a man named Tishish, Justus, a God-fearer whose house was next to the synagogue. And Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. And the Lord said to Paul, listen to this, verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no man will lay a hand on you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. For I have many people. In this city. And he stayed there a year. Verse 11. He stayed there a year and six months. Teaching the word of God among men. Paul did not lose heart. He did not give up. Even though the persecution and attacks of his adversaries. He kept going. Why did he keep going? Because Jesus confirmed to him. He said he had many sheep in that city. That have yet to be reached. With the gospel. It's a no brainer. God told me, Christ told me, there are people here that need to be saved. And he said it, they're here, I'm staying, and I'm going to preach the gospel. And this was the birth of the church at Corinth that we've been studying all this time. So we should expect diversity. I mean, we should expect diversity too. But we should expect adversity. Expect challenges. Expect to lose some people that we love along the way. But be encouraged. Be encouraged. Don't be discouraged. The Lord will save and purify his people. And the Lord will build his church. He's going to build this church. People are going to come and go, folks. They're going to come and go. And we're going to love them when they're here. And we're going to love them when they're not here. But don't be discouraged. Christ is building this church. The fifth lesson we can learn from this passage is this. Number five. The Lord's work is a team effort. The Lord's work is a team effort. Let's look at verse 10 and 11. Verses 10 and 11. Now if Timothy comes, take care that he's with you without fear, for he's doing the Lord's work, as I also am. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brothers. So you see, Paul was an apostle. He was chosen by Christ himself. And as we saw in that last passage in Acts, just a moment ago, there were several occasions in which Christ spoke to Paul directly in the office of that apostle. In other words, what I'm trying to say is Paul was kind of a big dog. He was kind of a big deal, okay? But never ever did Paul boast in his position or in his accomplishments except a time or two in a sarcastic way in order to prove a point. And you'll read that also in 2 Corinthians. Paul knew that if the work was to go forward, it was going to take several faithful men and women to accomplish the job. And Paul, we see he almost always had someone at his side accompanying him in ministry. And it seems here that if Paul sends Timothy to the church at Corinth, he's instructing them, them, do not give him a hard time. Do not frustrate his work. I'm sending him to you. Don't mess it up. Don't mess with him, right? He represents me and he represents the Lord. So don't give Timothy a reason to fear. He's doing what I'm doing. So you had better treat him in the same way with same honor and respect that you would treat me. Paul confirmed to them that he's doing the Lord's work. Just as in chapter 15, you and I were instructed to do to always abound in the work of the Lord. And we're all on the same team. We're all part of the same team. As we all endeavor to serve Christ and abound in his work, we have to depend and rely on one another. And that's why this can't just be a once a week kind of thing or a twice a month kind of thing. This is why we have to be committed to the family, okay? We're growing together. We're, we're getting to know one another more and more. There, there's a tie that binds. And, and and as we grow together and the Lord builds this church, these These sinews and these bones and these muscles are being attached to one another. And that's what we all represent in the body. All of our various gifts being used in the context of this church. No one person should seek the glory no matter the position they're in. Whether it's one of the visible areas like up front talking to everybody. Or whether it's someone behind the scenes that just wants to put donuts on the table every week. Like it doesn't matter. It's all beautiful in the sight of God. It's all service. It doesn't matter who's up front and who's not. Everything we do is for an audience of one. Everything we do is for his glory. And we have to take great care, each and every one of us. Each and every one of us have to take great care to ensure that we never get arrogant. None of us. We can't get arrogant. I'll tell you who will not let me get arrogant. That's my wife. She humbles me. Better than anybody in the whole entire world. And I love her for it. Oh, she's telling me to be quiet now. So <clears throat> if this is where you consider your church home to be, then guys, let's do it. Let's do it together. We have to dive in. We have to make some personal sacrifices. I'm sorry. I wish that I could say that it's a, it's a stroll down easy street, but working in the church and being part of a church is hard work. You're going to get frustrated. People are going to annoy you Sometimes. I didn't mean to look at you, Rachel. Um, it's, it's always a challenge. You're like, wow, I'm looking at someone. They're probably going to think I'm actually pointing them out in this. I don't do that, okay? Um, but um, we're going to get frustrated, and things are going to happen. And uh, we're going to, as I said, lose people along the way, people that we love. It's, it, it's going to hurt from time to time. But we're serving the Lord together. And there are many things that must be done... In order for this church to have a fruitful and successful ministry. And so here's the deal. Don't be a taker. Be a giver. Be a servant. Be faithful enough to carry some of the load. Not all of the load. Some of the load. 20% of the body in a local church setting should not carry all of the weight. And folks, that's the national average in churches. 20%. They carry the financial load. They carry the load when it comes to volunteering and making the church, actually, the wheels turn, okay? We are all commanded to always be abounding, going above and beyond in the work of the Lord. So don't just dip your toe in, okay? Go all in. It's I know it's uncomfortable getting to know people that you don't really know, and not all of us are going to mesh perfectly together, and the Lord put that person in your life to teach you patience and mercy. And grow you and sanctify you. That's what he does because he loves you. He puts those kinds of people in your life. And you're probably the same thing for them. Okay? So just keep that in mind. Everyone step out of your comfort zone. Commit and be faithful. And if we work together as a team, we'll really see, we'll really see the Lord begin to do some wonderful things here at Bright Star Bible Church. I really believe that. So I I just want to say to you guys, let's do this. Let's do this together. Let's go all in. Let's make it happen. Now, lest you think I'm trying to manipulate you or pressure you this morning into doing something that right now you're not being led to do or you don't want to do, let's read the next verse, okay, to take a little pressure off. Verse 12. Now concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brothers, and it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. So the sixth lesson is this. Here's number six. Have patience as others decide when and where to serve. Have patience as others decide when and where to serve. So this is not all going to look the same for all of us. We're not all in the same place in life. Some of us have much more intricate, detailed lives. Uh, It bears on our ability to serve in the local church, and we have to be understanding about that. Not to mention we're not all on the same place spiritually. So we can't get frustrated that someone's eyes have not yet been opened, maybe to truths that we see so clearly, but they're still working their way through it. We don't get frustrated and we don't get angry. We pray for their eyes to be opened. We pray for them and we're patient with them. The Apostle Paul himself had a conversation with Apollos that we see in this passage. He greatly encouraged Apollos to go to Corinth and Apollos' response was, Something akin to, ain't no way I'm going right now. Sorry, I have no desire to do that right now. Imagine being encouraged by the Apostle Paul, Hey, I think you ought to go. That's okay. Like, that's okay. I'm not ready. I don't want to go. I have no desire. But it says he will come when he has the opportunity. Be patient. When the Lord opens the door, he'll come. I, as your pastor... And you towards your church family, we are to bear with one another in patience. And the call for all is to go above and beyond in the work of the Lord. So we all recognize that that's the biblical requirement for Christians, right? Everybody recognize that. Nod your head so I know you're still awake. That's the requirement for all Christians. That is what we are to do, to always be abounding, going above and beyond in the work of the Lord. As to the timing, pray about it. And when the right door opens, walk through it and have peace in the matter. Get to it. None of us are here as consumers. None of us are here as spectators. And and you have my word. I'm not going to pressure any one of you to do something that you don't want to do until you're ready. When you're ready, I will pressure you. (laughs) So we close this little passage that on its face doesn't really look like much when you read it, does it? But, you know, you're just considering some of the personal stuff that Paul's writing about Timothy and, and uh, Apollos and some of these various things. However, this text is really a treasure trove of wisdom for each of us as we pray and consider our place in this church and doing the work of the Lord. I want to close in review of the things we've learned that you can write them down and pray through them. And hopefully you can kind of think through them and, and ponder them next week. And here, here they are. Number one, we must work with vision and priority. We must work with vision and priority. Number two, we must be flexible. We must be flexible. Number three, we must be committed and thorough in completing the work. Committed and thorough in completing our work. Number four, we must expect conflict and challenges from adversaries. We must expect conflict and challenges from adversaries. Number five, we must understand that the Lord's work is a team effort. We must understand that the Lord's work is a team effort. And number six, we must have patience as others decide when and where to serve. We must have patience as others decide when and where to serve. Each of us in the work of the Lord, pulling our own weight, not under obligation, but because we love Jesus. We serve because we love Jesus. It's not an obligation to the pastor or everybody else. We serve because we love Jesus. And we're so thankful for what he's done in our lives. We love his people. That's a good reason we love each other. We want to show each other how much we love them by serving them. And this is what unifies us together and unifies us in Christ. Jesus, our Lord, is the head of the church. God's word is the instruction manual, if you will. And the Holy Spirit is the instructor. And and because I can, and it's Super Bowl Sunday, I'm going to be cheesy and I'm going to say it a different way. So don't judge me too harshly, Krista. On Super Bowl Sunday, here's how you could say it. Jesus is the head coach. God's word is the playbook. And the Holy Spirit is calling the place. All right? And if we unite under their leadership, there's no way, no way this team loses. No way. He's sovereign. He's in control. We submit to them and, and we're good. We do this together for his glory alone. We can abound In the work of the Lord together and go above and beyond. Amen? When we stand for Him and we do the work above and beyond with the right heart, the right intentions, when we stand before Christ, this is really it. When we stand before Him, He will say to us, Well done, my good and faithful servants. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to visit us in person, we meet at 1015 every Sunday morning at the Glenpool Conference Center. You are always welcome.